Melissa and I care deeply about anti-human trafficking efforts and the various organizations working on prevention and bringing hope to survivors. As we wrap up January and National Human Trafficking Prevention Month, we wanted to tell you about our partner, Thistle Farms. Thistle Farms is a social justice enterprise that provides women survivors of trafficking and addiction with two years of free housing, trauma therapy, and health care. In the program, survivors heal in community by learning job and leadership skills and working in Thistle Farms' social enterprise making beautiful candles and bath and body products. The money from the sale of the products helps cover the cost of the program and survivors can also build savings to restart their lives. This is why when you buy a Thistle Farms gift set, lotion, handmade leather bag, or candle, it's more than the product. You are joining a vigil of hope that supports life change. And just for our listeners, Thistle Farms wants you to enjoy a special discount. So enter code WHEREWEARE at checkout, W-E-A-R-W-E-R, all one word, and you will receive 15% off your purchase. Visit thistlefarms.org to start shopping and to check out their wonderful mission. Together, let's light up the darkness. On this week's episode of Where We Are, Melissa and I talk with David Thomas and Sissy Goff of Daystar Counseling Ministries about the state of the American family, the role that politics is playing in the uh, lives of families, and uh, how we can think about the role of politics in our own families. This is Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are. I'm Michael Ware. I'm Melissa Ware. Hi, Melissa. Good to be with you. It's uh, we had a good trip to start off the week. Really enjoyed having a bit of time away. I have returned from the trip to be right back in the throes of finishing uh, this book. Uh, and making progress and the finish line is ahead I know you're indifferent as to when if whether I ever finish this book um, because it has no bearing on your life Hmm. but um, uh, but but you know that's an update from me on, on where I am though again I know you are not anxious at all for me to finish this book. Nope no anxiety here I'm very ready for you to finish this book, but yeah. not just for for my own selfish purposes and the purposes of our children. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's because what else book, is there? It's because you know, folks. I've had to read this book already. You know, the first however many chapters you have done so far, several times, as I did with Reclaiming Hope, and it's gonna be so good, and people are going to love it, and it's going to feel like a breath of fresh air. And it's going to be something that people have not read before on the intersection of Christian faith and politics. Well, that's good because I feel like I haven't had a breath of fresh air in <laughs> months because I've been holed up in an office writing this book. But I, I appreciate You have like the tortured writer I, thing down, yeah, I Pat, do. truly. I do. I Unbelievable. Thank you, dear, for the kind words. Um, <laughs> uh, we neglected... Um, the previous episode to properly celebrate 
The fact that it was our 50th episode. Yeah, 50 episodes in. It That's doesn't incredible. even feel like it. It feels like we just started this yesterday. It's been a lot of fun, so it doesn't it really been. feel like that much work. Yeah. No, I mean, it's basically we're, uh, yeah, I mean, we're coming up on a year's worth of of uh, of, of weekly episodes, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Uh, Segway, I think today's episode might be one of our very best. Yes, I think everybody's going to really love this one. It's going to be one of their favorites. Um, we've been so excited for the past few weeks uh, to have these two guests on our show, David and Sissy. We think the world of them. We think the world of Daystar in Nashville. And we think the world of their podcast, Raising Boys and Girls, which is also on That Sounds Fun Network. So this is basically a That Sounds Fun Network palooza. Yes, indeed. Crossover episode. It's like a, It's like when uh, Buffy and Angel <laughs> did a crossover episode. Sure, yes, absolutely. This That's is exactly what it's basically... Like. Exactly like that. Are we Buffy and their angel? Are we angel and their Buffy? Is that too deep of a question at this point? It's it's hard it's hard to say, Melissa. Okay. I mean, in some ways, I want to say that we're angel because one year I uh, I asked for a leather jacket for Christmas because I thought it would make me look <laughs> like David Boreanaz. You look exactly like him when you wear that thing. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, All your dreams came true. But like emotionally, I feel like we're more <laughs> of like a Buffy than yeah. than an angel. You know, there are more family issues in Buffy. Mm-hmm. Like, like Angel kind of doesn't. Well, Angel's relationship with his parents a little mm-hmm. complicated. Yeah. Those of you who know the show. Yeah. I'm definitely but uh, I'm Buffy def- had like a Buffy ha- is like situated in a family so maybe Buffy is more is more appropriate for yeah. uh, for Sissy and David okay I think uh, in any case I would like yeah. to be Anya <laughs> yeah you know we we <laughs> neglected to ask Sissy and David this and so we're kind of um, we're kind of just sort of imposing our own opinions Um where they fit, uh, if, if they do have strong feelings about whether they are a Buffy Angel or maybe even another show on what was formerly known as uh, the WB, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe maybe they'll they'll cover it in uh, uh, on on their own uh, on their own podcast, which you should listen to. I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like they're seventh heaven. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, I get it. I get it. I see it. Um, <laughs> Melissa, could you tell folks a bit more about Sissy and David before we jump to the interview? Yes. Yeah, so just to give you some brief background so you know who they are in case you've never heard of them or, or you haven't listened to their podcast yet. So Sissy is the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, like we said, and... Fun fact, because this is in her bio, and I absolutely love this. She works alongside her counseling assistant slash pet therapist, Lucy the Havanese. I think that's how you pronounce that that type of dog. But anyways, um, with Daystar, they have a bunch of dogs on staff, which I think is just incredible. If you go to their website, you can see their photo and their name, and it's it's just really cute. But for Sissy, since 1993, she's been helping girls and their parents find confidence in who they are and hope in 
who God is making them to be as individuals and as families. She's a sought-after speaker for parenting events and the author of 12, 12 books, including best-selling Raising Worry-Free Girls and Braver, Stronger, Smarter, that's for elementary age girls, and her new, uh, her new release for teenage girls, Brave. She's also a regular contributor to various podcasts like ours and publications, as well as her own podcast, like we said, Raising Boys and Girls. And so David Thomas, David is the director of family counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries, and he is the co-author of 10 books, including the best-selling Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and Are My Kids on Track? The 12 Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones for Your Child's Needs to Reach, um, as well as his two latest titles, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys and Strong and Smart, A Boy's Guide to Building Healthy Emotions. He's a frequent guest on national television and podcasts, um, and he co-hosts, obviously, with Sissy on Raising Boys and Girls. And he's been featured in publications like Washington Post, USA Today, and he speaks around the country. So they have a lot of experience and a lot of expertise working with families, especially parents and you know David with boys and Sissy with girls a lot of the time. And so we really wanted to have this conversation because, Michael, you and I, we're parents. Um, and even though our kids are super young, uh, we work in politics and we see how politics is affecting Americans' daily lives, um, what kind of spiritual harm that it's causing, as you often say in your various talks and on this podcast and in your writing. And so we wanted to talk to two experts about how, what they're seeing parents navigate sort of best practices that they're seeing, whether or not they think that, yes, politics is causing harm in um, how parents are trying to raise their kids and families, you know, more broadly. And we get these questions all the time from our own listeners, um, from subscribers at our Substack, from your work, uh, you know, over this last decade. You're also constantly talking to college-age students and they're always bringing these types of problems to the table of yes. you know familial problems that they're having based on you know whatever political leanings or views that they have, and so we're we're seeing this everywhere. And so we thought it was perfect to talk to Sissy and David about these issues. Yeah, it's let's, just a really good conversation. It's a great conversation. Let's let's get to it. David Sissy, so wonderful to have you with us on where we are. Thank you so much for joining. We are so honored. We have thought the world of both of you all and your work for a lot of years. And so it's just so fun to get to finally connect and meet via podcast. It really is. This conversation feels like it's been a long time coming. It, it, it <laughs> yes. has, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad uh, we're, we're having it. Uh, I, I think um, we're going to dig into a lot today, but I think where we want to start is just by uh, asking you about Daystar and, uh, and and your your experience uh, there, and particularly, you know, we've had such a tumultuous last you know two three years. It seems would love to hear about the work you do at Daystar and also um, kind of kind of uh, the the, um, the 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 kinds of challenges that you're seeing families come in with and and how you're able to to help them. So we both get to work every day at a little yellow house. One boy called it the little yellow house that helps people. And so our counseling practice where I've been since 93 and David has since 97. So a long time. Tell him how we old. started when we were six and seven. Yes. We do want that to be clear. <laughs> yes. So 
So we both get to counsel in this space. We both get to take our dogs to work. There are 13 counselors on staff and and I think five dogs that are many of the kids who come. They're their favorite therapists. And, and you Love know, it. I mean, taking, taking a child to counseling is terrifying for a lot of kids. And so being in a house, having dogs that are part of our practice, we have popcorn always popping in the afternoons for after school snacks. You know, we're just trying to make it as warm and inviting as it can possibly be. And and we, I think, both feel very privileged to do that work. And out of that work, we get to write and speak and have our own little podcast and all of those things. And I would, we could, talk, I can talk specifically more about what I've been seeing lately with girls and David could about boys, but certainly it feels like the world is crashing in on kids and on families. Mm-hmm. And we both would say we have never sat with as many parents who feel weary and discouraged and even like failures as we're seeing currently. And I think part of that is a picture of what life has been like the last few years. And, and in terms of girls, what I'm seeing hands down across all ages, the most is anxiety. It just is so pervasive right now in our culture and not just kids, parents too. What would you Mm -hmm. throw in about boys? I would say if I were going to pick a word for boys, I would say anger. And I talk a lot in content I've written on boys that, you know, somewhere around nine to 10, I think boys naturally start to funnel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, disappointment, confusion into anger. So that's already happening with boys as they move through development. But I would say that's even more accelerated, that it's just these struggles coming out sideways, but the primary presentation being anger for a lot of boys. So I'm having constant conversations with parents of boys of many ages who are seeing evidence of he just seems more angry. He seems more irritable. He's more agitated. Um, yeah. So I would say, as I think in general about, you know, what we've been talking a lot with parents is there's been this conversation in our culture needed conversation about how concerned we are about kids academically and how behind they may have mm-hmm. gotten having missed those, you know, whatever period of time, depending on your city or state, that kids were not able to have an in-person learning experience and that we can't duplicate that. We're so thankful for virtual learning that allowed kids to have an experience of learning, but not an ideal experience of learning for many kids and adolescents. But we haven't talked nearly as much about the hiccups in development emotionally and socially for kids that Sissy and I are seeing a lot of. And again, spanning development. Everything from, I heard a mom of a three-year-old tell me a story of taking her son to the park when it finally opened after COVID. And Mm -hmm. her son had a little boy approach him and took his ball away. Again, it's something that happens every day at parks, but had not been happening for this little guy because he hadn't been Mm -hmm. in a park. And he just stood there screaming. He just kind of lost his mind. It was like, oh my goodness, wait, no one's ever taken my ball away from me because I haven't been to the park. And so if I think about what that looks like, you know, a decade later on a 13 year old boy that, you know, 13 year old Mm. boys haven't had practice asking a girl to a school dance because there were no school dances. So I'm hearing more and more stories from that from parents. I can't get him to stop playing video games. He just doesn't want to be with friends. So we're, I think, going to see evidence for quite some time of where kids of all ages, kids of both genders are just playing catch up emotionally and socially for what was missed because we didn't have the everyday practice opportunities that help kids develop those important emotional and social muscles. Yeah. Wow. So that's now, and that's really the effects of COVID and the shutdowns and things like that. 
what were family? How have families' needs changed since since Daystar opened? Um, what were the needs like back then? Are some of them the same, and or how have they changed? That's such a great question. Well, we do want to say we were both in high school when Daystar opened. <laughs> it was 1985, but we joined just both of us a few years later. But you know, I think back then, I feel like you know, I, I remember conversations, a lot of conversations with families back then about, I just want him or her to be happy. And it felt like it was more simple that they were struggling. And there were certainly kids who were depressed and anxious, although not nearly the same numbers. But I think it was more of a simple hope and wish for kids. And now it feels like I want them to be confident. I want them to have maturity and I want them to be adept at all of these different things. And and I think that the pressure has eked into parents and down to kids in a way that has complicated everything um, for mm. kids and families. What would you say you feel yeah, like is different? I agree. I think also the pressure that we see kids and parents experience in a whole new way out of the acceleration, how I think we've accelerated really every context where kids exist academically, athletically, you know, on every level. And, you know, I have laughed and said before that when I was applying to college, I went to University of Tennessee, our state school, you know, the only thing you needed at that point to get in really was just a pulse. And now (laughs) kids, we see kids panicking all the time about getting into state schools, all schools, and they getting into seventh grade. Yes. I'm counseling girls about that. Absolutely. Believing I need to have this impressive resume and these impressive test scores and, you know, so much evidence of where I volunteered, all these things. And, and, you know, I I even think on the age old saying of kindergarten is the new first grade. Well, there's a lot of truth Mm. to that. Like if we go back 50 Mm. years ago and look at how we were doing first grade, then it's what we're doing in kindergarten now. And I, I will challenge a lot of parents to even ask their parents, like, ask what their kindergarten experience was like. And most parents of that generation would say, I went three days a week or we went till noon and then you came home and took a nap. And so if we've accelerated everything on the front side, of course, we've accelerated on the backside. You know, my kids took classes in eighth grade that I took in high school. They took classes of juniors and seniors that I took in college. And so and sports, you know, once upon a time when we were in school, kids could play three to four sports a year. And now right. one sport could yeah, be a 12 yeah. month a year commitment. And so I think out of that, we're seeing this spillover effect of just a lot of pressure that that puts on kids and parents as well. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. Mm-hmm. I know this is like an unfair question to ask, uh, maybe, but, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it anyways, which, which is, <laughs> uh, you, you know, We've talked a lot about the sense that families and children in particular are facing, you know, some new challenges. If you could uh, kind of your overall assessment of the health of America's kids, of American families, like what is, is the state of the American family stronger now than it was 20 years ago? Or do you think that uh, it's not just a matter that American families and kids are facing new challenges, but that overall sort of their, the quality of, of, of childhood has uh, deteriorate, deteriorated or, or been uh, become more difficult over the last, over the last 20 years. Mm. Mm. It's a great it question. Such a thoughtful question. It really is. 
I, I'll say something. Okay. You yeah. share a thought too. I would say, I think in some ways there are not new challenges. Now, obviously there are, as mm -hmm. we were just discussing some mm -hmm. things that mm -hmm. have accelerated, but some challenges are the same, but because of the acceleration, you know, I'll give one example. I think sleep is something I talk with a lot of kids and parents about because every mm -hmm. one of us knows, you know, kids, <laughs> infants, kids, adolescents need the exact same sleep, amount of sleep they needed a hundred years ago. And it'll be the same amount they'll need a hundred years from now. And yet as we've right. accelerated these experiences, what we know is happening is that kids are getting less sleep and we're somehow believing yeah. They can kind of all still be okay with less sleep when we know that's just foundational to their cognitive mm. development, to their emotional development. And so that to me would be one example of that's not a new challenge. They've always need the same amount of sleep, but because we've accelerated things, it's become a new challenge because figuring out how do I make sure my kids just get the amount of rest they need and the kind of mm. nutrition mm -hmm. they need and opportunities for downtime that they need with this current acceleration. So that I would say is is one example of something that's making it harder for kids and families to be healthy and that parents are working harder and longer hours and feeling more overwhelmed, as Sissy said, with a seventh grader about are they going to get into a school in ways that yeah. they're not getting the amount of sleep they need as well. So I don't know what yeah. else you would say. Well, <clears throat> I would add, I mean, I think big picture families, which again, I love that question. I did a podcast uh, probably a year ago. And the, I don't remember who interviewed me, but they said that they felt like that parents today were the first generation of healthy parents, which mm. I thought was really fascinating. And I would say it, definitely the first generation of parents moving towards health. I, I don't know that mm -hmm. I, any, I think any of us are really healthy this side of heaven fully, but, but yes. I think moving toward health in a different way than ever before. And so out huh. of that, I mean, I think families are having conversations that none of us ever had when we were growing up. I mean, parents are pressing in in really amazing ways. And so I believe the family's probably more connected in a deeper sense than it's ever been. And out of that great awareness for parents, I think it's made parents more anxious because they almost know too much. And so yeah. it makes them more fearful that they're not getting all right. And And then to David's point, when you said is the childhood deteriorating? My immediate thought was, I think the freedom of childhood has deteriorated mm. or is deteriorating. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because oh, that's so wonderful. I, I, I do. Yeah. I, I, I do sort of wonder, I mean, it's such a hopeful, hopeful note. I do wonder if sort of previous generations of parents also thought that they, uh, were correcting the mistakes of of the past, uh, I, I, like as 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 you know, we're young parents. Uh, you know, you're you're both aware of the things that you want to correct, and then also uh, just burdened by the sense that oh, we're probably inventing whole whole new ways of uh, of messing up our kids. You know, um, and so there is that that sort of man. What what are we missing? Uh, you know, we we have to assume. I'm constantly <laughs> yeah. thinking that, Michael, because I hear from we're, we're millennial parents, and so I hear from millennials all the time that we're the generation to break chains or whatever. And I'm going. I feel like we're creating some new ones, but I don't know what they are yet. We're gonna yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly yeah. thinking about these things, but you know, this is a politics show. And so one of the things that we wanted to bring in with, with you both 
is to talk about politics and what families, mm-hmm. children, parents, or uh, wider family, broader family are facing around politics. So Michael has argued for a long time that politics is causing spiritual harm in America. Do you feel like that rings true based on the families that you're seeing today? And is politics a source of strife within families or are you not seeing that? I'm, I'm seeing it and I'm seeing exactly what you're talking about in that. And, and I, I mean, I think polit- politics in terms of political issues. I mean, I am having mm-hmm. so many conversations in my office with older kids. I mean, typically this is adolescence where they're trying to find their own voice. They are yeah. starting to connect the dots and and they're being heavily influenced by their peers and the media and social media, all those things. But I think kids, I, more than I've ever seen, I believe kids are having different values than their parents, different perspectives mm-hmm. on things. Wow. And where I'm seeing the problem is that it feels like parents are panicking. And so mm-hmm. in light mm-hmm. of they're saying something different than what I've taught them their whole life. And so now I'm going to teach them that much more because they must have missed it. Yeah, Rather yeah. than <laughs> they're just learning to think independently. And so I feel like I have said to parents so much in the last six months, you are taking yourselves out of the conversation Mm -hmm. and you have got to be a source. And the only way to be a trusted source is to listen and hear them out and ask them questions. Because if you're not, that's the only perspective they're going to be getting on politics is this side. That's that's not what you would necessarily present. What, what would you, I love that. And I agree with everything Sissy said. And I want to say next, I think because the realities she just named are true, I do not want to miss an opportunity to tell the two of you how thankful we are for your voices and how needed your voices are in this world. And so we were thrilled to be a part of this conversation because we think the world of you, but excited to help more parents think about, as Sissy just shared, how could we enter into those conversations differently? So I love that you're asking that question and creating opportunity for parents to think more about that and to remember everything that she said. These are developing people. And, mm. you know, yes, I, I challenge a lot of parents in saying, do you have the exact same ideas you had when you were 14? You know, do you have the same <laughs> yeah. friends you had mm-hmm. when you were 14? So right. they're developing people. We're developing people. And to also say, you know, everything we want for the world, we have an opportunity to build first in our homes and to think, okay, if we want civility in the world, how can we practice civility in our homes? If we mm. believe in our calling to humility, how can we be postured in humility in our homes? And and to show kids, you know, I, I've, Sissy and I've long said, kids don't know how to disagree with respect any more than they know how to ride a bike. It has to be taught. Right. It has to be practiced. We do a lot of falling off and scraping our knees and getting back on. So if if kids don't have that opportunity to practice that in their homes and to sit front row and see even their mom and dad do that with yes. each other, then it makes it that much more difficult for them to practice that in the world. And then the extra calling I believe we have on our lives as followers of Christ to say, okay, what does it look like then to be a person of faith, to have that kind of conversation with a friend sitting next to me at the school or across the table from me at lunch? Right. And that we can disagree with respect, that we could have very different ideas Mm -hmm. about the world and still maintain a friendship and still trust each other and still respect each other and still extend kindness to each other. So there's a lot of great opportunity, I think, for us as parents in the home, for who we want our kids to be in the world. 
Yeah, I, I find that mm-hmm. um, I find that I find this generally, and then I find it in the in the family context as well. That politics is just treated as this uh, completely foreign, sort of mystifying, sort of the rules, the normal rules don't apply. And so, you, you know, if if your kid was having uh, uh, thoughts about sort of a dating or money that you disagree with or you don't think are, are right on track, that would sort of be assumed, and there'd be a plan. When it when it comes to politics, it's Oh no! This is you know this un uh, uh, you know un um, you know this is a chasm that can't be bridged. Or what are we going to do? And I often um, you, you know know mostly the same rules apply. So um, you you, you want to be present there with your with your kids. You want to show attentiveness to the kinds I and mean, take seriously the kinds of questions they're asking, but also help to lead them. Deep, so I wanted to raise this sort of interesting uh, test case. I, I have a good friend who has a a teenage son who had been um, increasingly uh, uh, there. There are twi- video game streamers who will do uh, live stream playing a video game, and also his son had gotten would spend hours a day with this, this Twitcher, I think they, they're called, uh, right. That's, is it Twitcher? Uh, I think, I think it's I Twitcher. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had a conversation about a Twitcher in my office this week. Yes. Yeah, but, Thank you. Okay, great. I think it's Twitch. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but this, this live, this video gamer live streams, but also talks politics. And his son was spending hours with this, uh, with this guy each, each day. And, and it was, um, uh, he was getting concerned that his son's sort of worldview was being shaped in, in this way. Um, uh, and he said, you know, that the, the person uh, is very entertaining, but the way that they talk about politics, it's all about who's on the right side and who are your enemies. It's all very sort of, it, it, it punches Sounds hard. Like a video game. Yeah, no, exactly yeah. right. And my, my advice was, um, you know, his, his son was getting more and more invested in these sort of political ideas, but because of the forum and the detachment of the medium, they were just that. They were just ideas. It was basically a form of entertainment. And I suggested to my friend, you know, what would it look like for, for you to invite your son into thinking about what it, what it might look like to actually pursue some of these new ideas he has about the way politics ought to function in a, in a particular space. So does your son have new ideas about what's wrong with our education system? Well, you could blog about those. You could tweet about those. What would it look like for you and your son together to attend the school board meeting and Mm. to take a look at how, uh, how policies for schools are developed and, and what it might look like to actually affect change. And then your son might have to contend with the fact that not everyone making decisions or not everyone in his community is watching the same Twitch Twitcher stream, is watching the same sort of video game or, uh, and might have different ideas about that. And so th- I think that's, that's, that's one approach, sort of uh, uh, actually stepping in with your child into the, uh, uh, with your child into the kinds of questions that they're asking would love for 
you all to reflect on that. I, I, I'm sure I know actually that we have parents um, uh, listening on the call. They they, they tell us their pod, uh, our podcast is one way that they've been able to help uh, have these conversations with their kids. But for parents out there who are who are worried that politics is um, as you said, leading their kids to not be able to disagree without being disagreeable or leading them to take on ideas that they'd rather not see their kids take on. What kinds of advice would you have for, for parents who are walking through that? It's a great question. You know, one thought I had as you were telling that story is I had a conversation with uh, mom and her 10 year old son and Sissy and I, with our good friend and boss, Melissa Trevathan, a few years ago, wrote a book called Are My Kids on Track? And it's four emotional, mm. four social, and four spiritual milestones we want to see kids moving toward. And they had been talking mm. a lot and practicing the four social milestones. So they'd been having a lot of conversation about reciprocity, kind of the back and forth of relationship and conversation and about civility and humility. And they watched one of the presidential debates together and the mom challenged him like see where you can find evidence of that mm. so it's kind yeah. of like the investigative yeah, yeah, yeah. type thing and she said david it was fascinating that we'd been talking so much and practicing in this space and then to hear him make observations like he's interrupting him he's not letting him finish his thought yes the mom yeah. talk about angry eyes and soft eyes and she was like he has angry eyes all the time you know it was like and he was, <laughs> it was amazing at 10 years old and then she, he would say things like he's crossing his arms you said that's an angry posture and so it was amazing to hear him making these connections and that just watching that opened up opportunity not just for that learning but them to then talk more about issues and yeah. Uh, yeah. the mom and dad even saying, here's a place where we disagree on one part together, but we love each other. And here's how we have that conversation when we disagree. So I I just was thinking about that story as you were asking that great question. And that being that. another, I know, another opportunity of where we could use something that's right there in front of us as, as a tool for helping kids make those needed connections. Yeah. I, I think there are two things that it brought to mind for me. One is very basic and kind of what we were talking about before, but I, I really think we talk so much with parents about being a student of what your kids love. And mm. part of that involves knowing them. And so if your child is starting to talk about a certain cause, I love your thoughts on becoming active with them, moving toward activism in those places where they're experiencing it because they're such experiential learners. And mm -hmm. I think trying to get to the heart, asking questions to help get to the heart of why and what is it they love. They may end mm. up changing our minds in those conversations, but even statements like, tell me more, or I'd love to hear how you learned about this or what it is you love about it. And and then even in places that we disagree, mm -hmm. I think when we can encourage so often, or we see a lot of kids, I will say, who are just trying to push buttons at times. Yeah. Yes. And yes. I think yeah. we can say things like, tell me more. I'd love to hear more why you are passionate about that. We're going to do a lot of disarming. And then to think about, is it because they are all of a sudden, they're awakening to the need for justice? Are they... Yeah all of a sudden awakening to the realities of how hard life is, or they're yeah. developing this, this real desire inside of themselves to make a difference. I mean, we can, we can zoom out and say, no matter what 
kooky things we might feel like they're saying, we love those things about where they are and we can still encourage them in those places and 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 hopefully get to more where it's a conversation and weed out the mm. kids who are just doing it to push buttons. <laughs> yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So this, for me, this the, what, what we were just talking about brings up um, my next question that I'm thinking about a lot. Our daughters are four years old and 21 months. And so they're not developmentally like ready to hear a whole heck of a lot of things coming, <laughs> coming from us. But I think about parents who, you know, there are two huge recent shootings, you know, yet, you know, yet more mass shootings. When a terrorist attack happens, a, a natural disaster, a big election or a debate or, you know, things that, you know, things happening in politics of when when is it appropriate to talk to start talking to your kids about these things? Is it when it's is it when they show interest or should you wait a little bit? Um, what are some best practices there? Because I know that I'm not the only one thinking about this. I hear from parents all the time who do have like 10, 11, 12, like preteens who are starting to ask questions and they're very afraid how, how to talk to them about, you know, a terrorist attack or mass shooting, big, big things that deal in obviously things that happen in life, death, um, those, those sorts of really big topics. I, I'll jump in and you then you first. continue. I, I mean, I, I think a couple of things. One is I love that you said when they show interest, that would definitely be a mm-hmm. time that we would step in with that. Or we've said this several times, but I think you always want to be the source. And so if they're in school mm-hmm. and you feel like they're going to hear about it in a school setting, you want to be the one that's setting the tone for that conversation. And mm. Things that kids, especially elementary age kids, hear about different events that go on in our world, no telling what the interpretation is, you know, (laughs) that they get. And so to be able to say, hey, I just want you to know about something that's going on. And then we have a very short, age appropriate, big picture statement about whatever it is that's occurred. And then we talk about this all the time, that kids have this innate sense of they ask the questions when they're ready for the answers. And if they don't ask, they're not ready. And so we start and give them the facts very age appropriately with a lot of reassurance. And then we move toward giving them an opportunity to ask questions. What would you love that? That's exactly where I would agree. We want to start. And then the only thing that I would add is I think then we can when we see evidence that kids may be struggling with that information, making Mm. sense of it, figuring out what steps forward. I think it's always great to help kids move toward mission and meaning at that point. So to Mm. say, okay, now that we've talked about the really sad and scary thing that happened in Uvalde, let's pray together for the teachers and the students and the parents in that community. Let's, I'm going to today find out where we could send letters and draw pictures to send to the kids who were in the school that day, you know, that we're moving them toward a sense of mission and meaning. That's a part of how kids can create order when Mm -hmm. the world feels chaotic and and that it moves them toward some kind of structure and safety. So that would be the only other thing I would add. Yeah, that's That's good. That's so helpful. Can you just talk, we've talked a lot about sort of disagreement within, within families, but just generally even sort of uh, apart from particularly political disagreements, how, how, um, how, how can families best think, both from the children's perspective and the parents' perspective, uh, think about tackling serious disagreement without it, it provoking fracture in the family, and ideally, right, uh, even even uh, 
promoting uh, a closer, tighter family bonds. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I feel like creating opportunities for conversation, you know, where it's around the dinner table, even you're going for a family walk or something like that. I mean, com conversations, especially with adolescents, are always better when you're doing some kind of activity. But I think what we see happen a lot in our offices, or at least I feel like I'm seeing this, is an issue comes up and there's a division of perspective on it. And the parents not only can't stop teaching, but literally can't stop starting the conversation. And so it's mm -hmm. not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday. You know, they're yeah. circling back over and over and over. And to the degree that I think the divi division starts to define their relationship. And, and so if you're mm -hmm. having, this is not exactly an answer to your question, but I think if you're having an ongoing division in your family, make sure that connection and enjoyment are more what are defining your relationship. Mm -hmm. And the more, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little bit like parenting toddlers. And when they say, say yes so much that w the few times you say no, it really counts. I mean, the same is true, right. I think, in those respects. You want to connect and enjoy them so much mm -hmm. that when you're coming down with a very strong opinion, or you're even saying, I'd love to, I'd love to tell you what I think about that. Let me know when you want to hear. And then yeah. we do our words count more. What would you, we talk a lot about uh, the equation of respect and curiosity. That's a great safe place to land that I, you know, learned to say, I see that differently, but tell me more of how you arrived at that decision or that idea or that thought, or sometimes the curiosity piece with kids might look like, tell me more about where you heard that or what other voices are you hearing? What voices are you trusting right now? So that we, again, back to what Sissy said earlier, are entering into their world, finding out more of the music they're listening to, the things they're reading online, the people they're following on social the media. Twitter, yes. Twitter, whatever y'all are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I sure hope it is Twitter or else I, I'm, I'm spreading misinformation here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard a boy, a teenage boy talk about Twitch in my office. And I was like, in my head was immediately thinking, really? Like, that's what's going on. They're just playing video games and you're watching them. And then there, mm. there's commentary rolling. And yes. then I started yeah, hearing yeah. about it more and more and more and more and more. So all shared to say that would be a great opportunity to say, tell me more about the people you're following. How does that work? I started having, I started having to move mm -hmm. into that curiosity when I first discovered even that animal yeah. of Twitch. So yeah, I think respect and curiosity could be a great equation to arm kids with for those more complicated conversations within the family and certainly outside of the family as well. So, so here, one thing that I love about sort of a, a tie between both of your answers on that question is there can be real value in um, intentionally and directly confronting or raising uh, these issues uh, and, and to raising these points of disagreement, but a real danger in centering the, the disagreement in your relationship. And the other thing I'm sort of picking up here is um, sort of wantonly or, or sort of indirectly raising the source of disagreement in a way that can be patronizing or in a way that doesn't really invite conversation. And so to bring it back to politics, you know, I, I find uh, some parents who, who find themselves in a, a sort of a sense that their their kids have taken on a political identity that, that 
disagrees with their own, sometimes can't help but make little passing comments uh, about it or aren't being attentive to what's on the, the, the television and maybe even are sometimes intentional about what cable news station <laughs> they're watching or what. And so all yeah. of these sort of indirect ways of provocation you know, and or at least it it can appear to the child as a source of provocation. And I think this also works the other way. Kids, uh, children who will find all sorts of indirect ways to just sort of, provo- to your point, Sissy, just sort of jab their parents a little bit and try and get them riled up. But I, I really appreciate this idea that it's not raising these issues that's a problem, but make sure there's an intentionality and a directness and that it doesn't just become fodder for this mm-hmm. friction because that that friction can overtake the relationship in 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 ways that can be can be really toxic yeah yeah T- mm-hmm. tell them your yard son story oh yes there um years ago i was working with a 15 year old boy who um was <laughs> very much in the space we're discussing of finding his own voice, you know, building his identity. And he showed up at my office one day and went down to get him in the waiting room. And I could tell he and his mom were in the middle of a tense conversation. And the mom stood up and said, you know, could we meet together with you today and finish this conversation? And I said, sure. And as she said that he picked his backpack up, which was covered in bumper stickers. Like of endorsing a candidate that I know this family well enough to know that the parents would not be endorsing. And I mean, just cover barely even see the zipper. And so we get up to my office and they were having a heated conversation about the cell phone. And he said, you know, the way you feel about my cell phone is it's kind of like politics. We just don't agree on anything. And it was like whiplash. Like, how did we get from your cell phone to the presidential mm. election? Yeah. But it was yeah. so obvious everything Sissy was saying. And what I would yeah. learn is that this young man had not only gotten a hold of a lot of bumper stickers, but a yard sign that he had planted in the yard at night. <laughs> So that his dad would see it as he was backing out of the driveway. He'd gone to great lengths to endorse this candidate. And so, and one of those big ones. Yeah, it's massive. So his dad pulls out of the driveway and the whole neighborhood gets to see this giant sign in his yard. And and the mom, I said to the mom, she said, it makes me crazy when he starts talking about this. And I said, I hear you. Here's what I wonder if it might be about. And we talked about some of those realities. Mm-hmm. That yeah. And I said, and lastly, I would simply say to you, keep in mind that he is just 15. He can't even vote. Yeah. It doesn't matter what candidate <laughs> <Yeah>. he's <laughs> But I yeah. think to maybe, all. Maybe don't remind him of that too much. Yeah. <laughs> but, but keep it in your mind. Yeah. Keep yeah, yeah. it in your mind. Yes. <laughs> and it's in keeping. In keeping with everything we're talking about of they're developing people and he was forming ideas and opinions. And, you know, my experience with adolescent boys is that the journey of, you know, the identity formation journey is more clumsy than clean and the different links they'll go to at times to build that. And so I think if we're playing the long game, we just keep reminding ourselves as parents, like you said, okay, in my mind, I'm going to keep saying he can't vote. He's figuring out who he is in the world. Yeah, yeah. Right. I have one last question because I've just been sort of sensing this throughout our conversation. It's been, I mean, it's been such a huge blessing to Michael and I so far. But one of the things that I'm sensing here is um, issues with truth, which we know is happening at the sort of, you know, 30,000 foot level 
you know, globally, in our country, in our politics, in our culture, this this issue of trust. Who do you trust? What is truth? Um, what can I believe is true? Who can I believe as true? And one of my questions that I feel like other parents that we talk to are constantly at battle with, especially when it comes to politics and what is true in politics, is trust. How how do you engender trust between you and your child or um, between your child and like, you know, other family members, their siblings? Like, how do you keep all that together, you know, in 2023 with how accelerated everything is and, you know, kids facing, you know, the same issues as they have, but with the access to social media, all of this sort of swirling around them, how do you engender trust as a parent? I was thinking as you asked that question back to when Sissy talked a few minutes ago about enjoyment and connection and that I think Mm -hmm. trust is really built in those times so that when we have to enforce boundaries or give consequences or have hard conversations that we have that foundation of trust in place, but we're not really Mm -hmm. building it in those moments. We're building it in the other moments that I think um, are a part of, you know, even when our kids completely disagree with us, they have that foundation of trust to fall back on, even in those harder moments would be one thought I would throw out. What else would you say? I had a conversation with a couple six months ago, and this dad said, I have been to a lot of um, conferences. He, he was like an executive for his company. And he said, you know, one of the things they talk about, about is how the CEO's job is to be the calmest person in the room. Mm. And he said, I just am thinking that it's probably a parent's job too. Mm. And thinking about trust to me, I love that you said enjoyment because I think that's certainly it. And listening like we're talking about, but I think also just who we are and how we're, how we are in relationship to the kids we love. And I think in this age of anxiety, in this age of tension and lack of civility, being the most, being the calmest person in the room is going to make them feel more safe and secure and create more trust too. Yes. And I love that you would move that direction in this conversation, Melissa. I think it's so important. Yeah, yeah, I like that question too, Melissa. Uh, You know, I I think just the last comment I'd have, and then I'd love for your your closing thoughts, but just like my encouragement, I think, to to parents, but also kind of a warning is, uh, it's sort of a trope to say, like your your kids are are watching you and and how you behave, and, and that can mean more than... Uh, just what they take uh, from what what you tell them, how you instruct them. Um, But your kids are watching how you relate to politics. And I've just seen this so many times. And I spend so much time on college campuses with college students who are working through this this very thing. And um, it... uh, how parents relate to politics in front of their uh, children can either reinforce or undo the values they're trying to instill in their kids in every, in other areas of life. Uh, it, it, you may hold that politics is a sort of a distinct area from how you treat one another as uh, how, how you treat your spouse or how you treat your kids or how your siblings. Uh, but what I've just found over and over again is that kids are not making that, that 
that distinction. If they see uh, uh, that anytime you talk about politics, um, you, you you can't help but but uh, uh, use ad hominem attacks. You can't help but get angry. You can't help but sort of uh, um, express sort of a fear or vitriol. They're not going to say, well, that's just how my parents deal with politics. Uh, they're going to say, I guess my parents aren't who I thought they were, or I guess the values my parents gave me, they don't, they, they aren't really for all of life. Um, and this becomes a really profound thing when you're talking about faith. Uh, uh, if, if you're grounding your values in faith as, as we do, um, it suggests something to your kids about the nature of God and his kingdom when all of a sudden those things are discarded as soon as you get to the political realm. And so my, my encouragement is like, um, uh, um, politics can be an area in which you are reinforcing the values that you're trying to instill in your kids in every other area of life and be thinking about how that's an opportunity. And when your kids are bringing up politics, think about how uh, that's an opportunity. Uh, it, it is it is just another realm in which you can continue to parent as opposed to this sort of break in well, I'm not a parent anymore because I have political opinions to to sort of advance yes. and and negotiate. And so um, I, I would I would love to. Uh, you don't necessarily have to uh, respond to that, but would love sort of any closing thoughts from from you, Sissy and David, as as you think about uh, the, the the conversation we've been having. Amen. I mean, I, I I think that is the most beautiful way to end this that we possibly yes. could. And so I would just add to that, that we're wanting them to have trusted voices and we need them too. And so my only mm-hmm. additional thought would be keep listening to the Where We Are podcast because <laughs> you all are trusted voices yes. to us and to the world. Amen and amen. I love that. I could not agree <laughs> Thank more. Thank you. Hey, Just another reminder been, of why we're so thankful for your voices, both of you. Yes. Oh, that that means Thank a lot. You. And uh, we're tremendously grateful for this yes. conversation. Yeah. And we're tremendously grateful for you. We've talked to quite a few people now who have worked with you and you've worked with their kids and they, they just have incredible things to say about you and your podcast is wonderful especially for people who can't, you know, make it to Tennessee kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a pleasure. And I hope that um, parents or aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody who is in a child's life gets something out of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank, thank you all. Both. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with David and Sissy. I want to thank you for listening. want to thank David and Sissy for joining us uh, for the podcast. Hope it provokes uh, both uh, helpful conversations, maybe with your partner, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents, uh, and that some uh, you may get some helpful tools and, and, and ways of thinking. 
from the conversation that'll help you uh, navigate your family life and also just uh, you know our, our our politics. I mean, I think a, a major theme that came through, which is of course a major theme of our podcast generally, which it is that these things are not so separate after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, that we are not sort of. Uh, one person in our politics and another person in our family life. Uh, we're, we're just the one person. Uh, and so the, uh, really appreciate the conversation with David and Sissy. Melissa, any, any final thoughts? This conversation basically gave me energy and gave me some hope, which is really nice because we know how much harm that politics can cause. And this conversation made me feel like there's a way through and there, there are some really good examples out there for parents especially. And just hope it blesses you. And I mean, just dude, that was just such a great conversation. Yeah, dude. I feel the same way. <laughs> uh, let's, let's end it there. Uh, and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to Where We Are. Oh, bye. <laughs> Why do I always forget this sometimes? Sorry. I'm derelict to my duties. <laughs>